Grow CFO is where finance leaders grow together. Join thousands of like-minded professionals using Grow CFO to access the combined knowledge and experience of the finance leader community. You can join us today at growcfo.net. Hello and welcome to the Grow CFO show. I'm your host, Kevin Appleby, and today I've got Catherine Clark, Head of Mentoring at Grow CFO with me, and we're going to talk about difficult conversations. Catherine, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you very much, Kevin. So, Catherine, a difficult conversation. I suppose we'd better start by saying, what is a difficult conversation? Well, a difficult conversation is, is actually anything that someone finds hard to talk about, and they can be anything, really. I mean, it could be something like asking your boss or manager for a pay rise or promotion, providing negative feedback or maybe even constructive feedback to a team member, a peer or even upwards to your boss. Um, It could be something quite significant, like making someone redundant. You're going through a restructuring process. It could be something personal, like complaining to your neighbour about a dog barking or some other noise coming from a neighbouring property. Or it could be something that seems relatively simple, but maybe people showing up late for your meetings. So anything really where it's tricky, you believe it's tricky, it feels quite concerning to talk about. And often in a difficult conversation, there is a gap between what people are thinking and what they actually say. Right. So there's a lot of circumstances there you could be having a difficult conversation in. I must admit that when we decided we were going to talk about this topic, the thing that I honed in on was, well, uh, this is when you've got to give an awkward piece of feedback to somebody. I hadn't really thought about all of those other circumstances. Now, I suppose a question there, Catherine, is what's going on in our brains to make us kind of fear these sorts of conversations that makes them feel like difficult things to talk about? They actually cause a lot of anxiety, a lot of stress, fear, even guilt, because by their nature, strong emotions are present. And there's something actually normally very important at stake. That's why it's a difficult conversation. And we often worry that the conversation will affect a particular relationship negatively. And also there's an element around identity. So we see ourselves in a certain way. Maybe you see yourself as a kind person or a nice person or someone who gets on with people. If and when we engage in these difficult conversations, we may receive feedback about how someone sees us. Or we may be talking to someone in a way that just feels really uncomfortable if by default we want to be nice to people. And so they can sometimes threaten our self-image and our identity. I think I've often been worried about how the other person might respond and not wanting to have confrontation. I think there's sometimes where a lot of that worry is unnecessary as well, because I can think nine times out of ten that the difficult conversations come up, you've been worrying, worrying, worrying about it, and then you come out of it and think, well, it didn't get too bad after all. No, there's a statistic out there that says 90% of what we worry about doesn't happen anyway, so there's that to think about. Also, remember that in a difficult conversation, ideally we're not entering it to try and blame someone or shame someone or to be angry at them or we're actually trying to enter into that conversation to find out more yeah and to be able to be curious and ask open questions as to why this situation is arising 
or for you to actually define and be able to explain sort of what's going on here, maybe how you feel about it, but also to be very clear between or to be very clear on someone's intent behind something because our our sort of brains (laughs) make up things. They they actually will fill in the gaps. So if we feel like someone's done something wrong or done something wrong to us, we fill in the gap as to what their intention is behind it. And we haven't actually asked at that point where they were coming from with that sort of thought process. Right. And I think something I've learned over the years, and this goes into the point of the difficult conversation might be about some kind of performance issue, some kind of negative feedback, is folk generally don't show up at work to do a bad job. And normally the reason that a bad job might have been done is a lack of understanding of what was required, a lack of training, a lack of instruction, lack of clarity. And generally, people will be quite open to feedback about doing things better. Especially if it's, well, yes, there's two things here. One is any conversation, difficult or not, should be a two-way conversation. So there's something you may have seen in someone's performance in the example that you share, which you can express and show that it's happened, but then ask for their opinion or perspective as to why that situation has arisen. They may or may not have seen that coming, and it could be a blind spot to them, which, of course, in mentoring often, I'm working with people who have done like a 360-degree feedback because it identifies your blind spots in performance or the way you approach things. So sometimes we just can't see what we can't see. And therefore, there's no misintent behind it. We just need to understand why something has happened. Right. Yeah. So we're coming in now to say there are, if you're having this difficult conversation, there are elements to it. So clearly there's raising the issue in the first place. Then there's asking the very open why is this happening, what's going on sort of question, getting their perspective on it. Where do you go next? Yes, okay, so, but let me just answer that. I'm just going to give just a little bit more background on the neuroscience, just because just before okay. I go into the different elements, yeah. because our brains are actually used to avoiding sort of anything we perceive as a threat. Yeah. Now, difficult conversations, because we spoke earlier about how it leads to anxiety and fear and guilt, we will try and avoid because we will see it as a threat. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so to actually overcome that fear and anxiety, we have to start, or one of the starting points is to believe in a positive outcome. Okay. Which sounds simple, but it's true. Any belief we hold, our mind will look for evidence of its truth. Yes. So we have to enter these conversations, firstly, believing that it's for a good reason and there's going to be a positive outcome in that you're going to result in maybe a healthier relationship, more openness and connection, more collaboration, even in an internal feeling of sort of just calm and contentedness because you've dealt with the issue. I think the point in this sort of conversation is that ignoring a difficult issue doesn't make it go away. Yes. So firstly, it's recognising the issue exists. It's recognising that the benefits of dealing with the issue. And that creates then a foundation of sort of trust 
in those relationships as well and effectively creates more effective communication and healthier relationships which is that foundation of collaboration and connection as well yeah about convincing yourself that rather than this being very difficult with loads of anxiety that actually you shouldn't be frightened about it because it's going to lead to a better outcome no it's all right to say that Catherine but how do you actually convince yourself that that's going to be the case well, personal development or being very self-aware is a lifelong journey. There's no getting away Definitely. from it. It doesn't happen overnight. Yeah. So just knowing for a start, you can choose how you behave. You can choose how you show up to anything in life. Like yes. A difficult conversation being one of them. And the reason I say that is because if you choose to change anything, whether that's your health habits, anything like that, eating habits, there's no point going in with a, I've got to sacrifice things here to get a certain outcome. That the way, certainly neuroscience would share this, that the way you can change things is by believing in a more positive outcome. Yeah. And so that's why I used the word earlier, like healthier relationship. In the other sort of sense, it might be a healthier body more or to move in a different way. So there's a hope and certainly belief is what transcends fear. Okay. And also, and I know, you know, I love the book, sort of feel the fear and do it anyway, which is sort of in a sense, one of my references for this conversation. But when you believe you can handle anything that comes your way, then again, if you look back at your own successes in life or where you've got to, you will always find the truth in that somewhere. Yep. And it's no different in a more difficult conversation. Okay. And it's how you approach the conversation. And when you pay attention to the outcome that you want and recognize that you've got a part to play in it. Yeah. This isn't about the other person changing all the time. It's about coming to a mutual way forward that works for both parties. Right. Okay. Um, but also you've got to recognise, if I now sort of turn to what are generally the three elements of a difficult conversation, one is the the what happened or what is happening. It's likely, because it's difficult, that there's going to be some disagreement between different viewpoints, a perception that someone's right, maybe someone's wrong, is someone to blame, is it someone's fault? So you've got to sort of unravel that and really understand from both sides what has gone on here and understand the differing viewpoint. The second element is around the feelings that are involved. So you've got to almost acknowledge your own emotions in connection with this particular situation. But you've also got to consider the other persons. And that's why you can't enter a conversation in some kind of blaming fashion, because you have no idea how someone else is feeling or will feel once you sort of come along with that conversation. And there could be high emotions at stake. Remember, this is, you wouldn't do this unless it was important. Quite. The third one is the identity. So it's quite often, how do we see ourselves? You know, let me just take in the example of making someone redundant. I mean, that really is one, well, certainly even in my own journey, one of the most challenging things I've ever had to do. Yes. It was awful. It's a horrible situation because you're changing someone's life. And but some people will veer away from doing it. And equally, as a leader, you can't step back from all difficult conversation. You've got to think, but you've got to remember often these things are a point in time. They're not indicative of your wider identity or your wider character. And I actually think if you take that particular scenario of making 
someone redundant. I'd actually rephrase that. You never make a person redundant. You make their job redundant. And even in that sort of situation, you can do an awful lot by helping that person to their next role, their next opening. Mm. It should exactly. never be, in a, in a case of redundancy, it should never be any criticism of the person. It should always be, well, the particular role that you've been doing is no longer required. Yeah. There's nothing about you that we're making redundant. It's your role. And again, you have a choice as a leader or a person in that scenario to show up in a way that is still caring. It's being empathic towards the other person and being in a position of listening again. So letting them express their emotion or their concerns or thoughts about it as well. And allowing them to be seen and heard in any difficult conversation is important, but maybe more so in that one as well. Yeah. So the first bit of that, you've got to put the issue on the table, Catherine. That's probably the bit that we do the most worrying about. How do you raise the issue? Yes. It's flowing. It's probably not too much of a problem <laughs> in the first place. <laughs> yeah. So in your own mind, just construct a more positive belief in your own mind or a strong belief that there will be a positive outcome. That's the first thing, believing mm. in the positive outcome. That will help you show up ideally calm, open, feeling a little bit more in control, but also prepared to listen. Because what we don't want to end, we don't want to enter these conversations in like a sort of fight or flight mode because we just won't listen, we won't hear, we'll become very stressed and reactive. The first thing is to separate intention out from impact. And rather than make up our own assumptions, be curious and ask about maybe someone's intention behind what's happened or the situation. Um, As you said earlier, it's quite easy for our brain to fill in a huge empty gap with what we think the intention is. It has nothing to do with that at all. And we can focus on how it's impacted us. You know, that sort of I, (laughs) this is how I feel. And this is what it's done to me. Like, you must have done something wrong if I feel this way. But it's more about speaking to the impact that you're concerned about, but being extremely curious and open as to what their intention was behind it. So maybe something like tell me your perspective or share more about your perspective on what's happened here. Mm. Good question. Share your perspective. Yeah. Yeah. So it's got to be the goal in a way is to turn it into a learning conversation. Mm-hmm. So to reframe it from difficult to learning and to genuinely construct or engage in a two way conversation. Yeah. So the first difficulty in my mind will be how do I start this conversation? How do I get into this conversation? The second difficulty for me would be how do I have a good open conversation because the natural place that the other person might go if there's a mistake involved or something like that is on the defensive yeah that's right that is a normal response as a recipient particularly or difficult conversation you can get defensive or even aggressive about receiving Mm. it so I would say Obviously, find the right time. (laughs) You don't want to find a time where that person is under time pressure or maybe stressed about some other deadline or something. Try and find the best time to have an open conversation. And as I say, present it as it would be really good to have a conversation about whatever it is. Can we please share our thoughts on this? So you're 
it's a very different almost mindset into yeah. the conversation. The interesting one for me there, Catherine, would be say, finding the right time, avoid a knee-jerk reaction. You've just discovered something. You've got quite angry about it, quite upset about it. You immediately rush off to find who you think the culprit and tear a strip off them. No, that is the wrong approach completely. <laughs> it, is, it, is, it is. I think in that case, a simple thing there will be, if you ever feel that way, that very strong emotion like that is just stop and breathe and pause yes. <laughs> before yes. doing anything. Yes. Or if it's an email that's telling you something, you know, write the nasty, argumentative, horrible reply to it, and then press delete and don't send. You get it all out of your system and then go and have the proper conversation. <laughs> well, I mean, certainly there, I mean, there's lots of advice out there and there's different scenarios. We're working a lot more online now, whether yeah. that's like we're doing now more in a video way or even by email. I think if it's a genuine and remember, it's important, the word important, difficult conversation, then you've got to create an environment where you can interact. I mean, genuinely interact with yes. eye contact and ideally free from distraction. So online like this is fine, but you've got to be able to see see people enough to see those like micro expressions. Yes. Because in a funny way, you're reacting in the moment or responding, I should say, in the moment during a conversation. And it's often those nuances, those little body language shifts that can sort of show you how someone is responding to what you're saying. Yeah. And you can and change it accordingly. In the online world that we're in, that says avoid just the plain voice conversation, get on the video conversation. But even then on the video conversation, you're only seeing head and shoulders. You don't have the person in the room with you. You miss out still on a lot of stuff. Yeah, you'd have to say a best case scenario is that you agree to meet together in person. Yeah. But we know that's not always practical, in which case you've got to recreate that in some kind of video presence mm. online. And the other advice is to be very specific. So just keep it calm and be quite specific. with what I'd say as well, avoid written response. Make sure it's spoken response. I've got a tendency, if I see anything going, coming through on a, an email that feels as though it's, oh, something's gone wrong, there's a problem or whatever, I tend to read those sorts of things in a very negative way when chances are the author of said note hasn't written them in a negative way at all. But because there's zero language, apart from the written word, there's zero emotion at all in that written message, it can be hugely, hugely misinterpreted. I agree. Personally, I can take it in exactly the same way as you're saying that. I think, I don't think people put enough care into how they write things sometimes. And therefore, my brain, like I'm sure yours, is filling yeah. in the gaps and thinking, well, that's a bit blunt or that's yeah. not very fair or... Have I done something wrong or exactly? Um, or what have I done to sort of elicit this type of mm. response? Or I'm in favour of the spoken interaction. Yeah. I think one of the things about that written word one, Catherine, is that we're we're in a world where the short, sharp message has become the thing. You know, a text message is never more than a couple of sentences. Mm. And I think in all sorts of communications, we've got into our mind as why write a paragraph when a sentence will do. <laughs> The problem with the scenarios with is these affect our mental energy. Absolutely. Uh, that the moment we start thinking, well, thinking what's true, what's not true here, what's the intention, 
it really badly negatively affects our mental energy. And as we know, that knocks on to productivity, what we're trying to achieve or our outcomes. There's actually, there's a study out there, it's a vital sparks research study was done. And this is talking about how you can delay a difficult conversation. But say you get that sort of message and you think, wow, I really need to speak to the person about that. But if you then delay it through fear of what that conversation is going to be about or... It can actually cost a company approximately $1,500, the study was a US one, and eight hours of work time. I can believe that. Yeah, Yeah. same, I can as well, because I think we all know sometimes a conversation needs to be had. And and I have to say, quite often, we do avoid it. (laughs) And I said at the beginning, ignoring it doesn't make it go away. But truthfully, all of us, to some degree or other, avoid having a difficult conversation but there is time and mental energy associated with that. Oh, definitely. And I can recognize instances that I've been in where definitely productivity has suffered. Mm-hmm. I can think of one particular thing that went on. Something came across in an email that I got very annoyed about, and it came out on Friday afternoon. Fortunately, it was a Friday afternoon, because I did spend the next 48 hours festering about it. And that, mm-hmm. if it had been... But best thing was to go off and not do anything work-related. But if that had been in work period, very little would have got done in that 48 hours. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, I've had the same. I'm pretty sure anyone listening to this has had the same. Yeah. We fester on things. We do. And it depends on our state of mind as well, because you never know when what else is going on in someone else's life and what can become the focus of attention. And we really have to watch ourselves when we're placing a lot of attention on something, but not actually doing something about it yeah, and and creating a different outcome. Catherine, we've concentrated a lot up to now on being the creator of the difficult, being the instigator of the difficult conversation. But now we're starting to go into the area there that you're on the receiving end of something. How should we be dealing with difficult conversations as the recipient? Ideally, we need to stay neutral. So it's about being, well, firstly, if I could just give a bigger view, I think any leader has a responsibility to look after themselves and to have enough self-knowledge to know where they are on any sort of given day. So we've got to keep ourselves in the best place physically, mentally, emotionally anyway, uh, to be a sort of calm and in control leader. So let's just assume for a minute and also recognising that our thoughts are extremely powerful. Mm-hmm. So we need to sort of think, where are we on any given day? If someone approaches us for a more difficult conversation, we ideally should be in a place to better stay neutral. We don't want to dismiss the person or the situation because that will sort of fuel the fire. And we, again, we need to have the same belief as the other way around, that we can get through this, we can resolve it. Yeah. There's going to be a different outcome here. So by staying sort of slightly unemotional I suppose and not reactive to what's being said and also being nice and listening it it slightly disarms the conversation yes I do appreciate that slightly probably more difficult than it sounds because like we said earlier our immediate response is often to be defensive or even a about receiving it Yes. But if we can stay it's a fight you know, or fight syndrome yeah. straight away in that one. Is that if you're instigating the conversation, at least you've been able to go away and think about it. You've got that opportunity before you have it. If the conversation then sprung on the recipient, 
without giving them the opportunity to do the same, then they're automatically going to go into defensive. And I wish, looking back even on my sort of journey, there's a couple of times that spring to mind where I think I should have asked them to have the conversation. When I realised they were quite het up about something, I should have had the calmness to say, I'm very happy to talk about that. Maybe just share what your things and let's talk about it another time. Because it is hard to stay unemotional and it's hard to stay nice if someone is throwing things at you. So as I say, being sort of nice and remember listening again, we're back to it has a huge part to play. People like to be heard. And sometimes if they're heard, it sort of frees them. I'm not saying we should be the recipient of that. (laughs) But yeah, it sort of allows them to be heard. But then they've got to do you the respect of listening to you back. Yeah, I'd certainly say from my experience as the recipient, one of the things that you should do is make sure that you're honest, open. Don't try to make excuses. So a piece of negative feedback comes through and you find you might bend the truth a little bit in your answer. You might give excuses in your answer. I think, no, if we're going to confront the issue and get the best out of it as a learning experience, both parties have to be absolutely open, upfront, and honest about it. And there's got to be a timeliness to it. I'm, I'm thinking that, as I say, some of the mentees I work with have done 360 degree feedback. And when they get the reports back, people have the opportunity to express feedback, which at times, let's call it constructive, <laughs> but you know they can read it and it can seem quite negative. The problem is, is it timely? It's got to be timely. There's no point sharing something months after the event. And also, I think if you are in a situation where something's difficult, ask for support. When someone else helps you see a particular situation in a different way, it can lighten that whole dynamic. That's what I do a lot of, is helping people to reframe that scenario, because we can focus a lot on the negative when actually in reality there's a lot of positive around as well. Um, So, Catherine, I'm aware that we ought to be closing on this, but just thinking... Specifically these days, we are doing a lot of this online. Have you got any specific tips for how we ought to be conducting these sorts of conversations online? Yeah, I think I shared some of them earlier. I think they call it a sense of co-presence, but it's ensuring that you're creating an environment much like you would in person. So an environment where you can see the other person, ideally see their body language so you're both actually physically on screen no distractions so you can listen intently to the other person and interact effectively that's the crux of it ensure you can make eye contact and be quite specific in what you're talking about as well they're the key things and i'm thinking some of the things that i've learned over the years about doing having these sorts of conversations doing them face to face just don't apply these days like one of the key ones was always find a neutral location. Don't summon somebody into your office. Oh, it's can we go have a coffee? You yeah. go somewhere neutral that one side doesn't have the upper hand against the other. Yeah. And I'll go back because it's such an important point. It's a learning conversation, mm. a two-way conversation. So you've got to allow that conversation to develop and to really listen and tune in to both sides. And obviously fundamentally agree a way forward that sort of mutually benefits both really 
I mean, there's a really nice, I use it a fair amount. It's a quote by uh, Timothy Ferris, and it's a person's success in life. It can usually be measured by the number of uncomfortable conversations he or she is willing to have. Interesting. The more uncomfortable conversations you have, the more successful you are. Because you've got the courage, because in that situation, you've got the courage to actually engage in those conversations and not diminish your time or your mental energy. And you're dealing with issues head on, which then build stronger relationships, which then creates that whole foundation of trust and rapport. And there's just more positive outcomes. Absolutely. Catherine, we could go on talking about this for hours. But I'm sure that people that are interested so far will definitely want to research some of this further. Have you got any recommendations for where people should go next? Yeah, I have. I mean, in in constructing a lot of what I've been talking about, there's many different sources. There's a book called Difficult Conversations by Douglas Stone. He was also co-author of a Harvard Business Review article called Mastering Difficult Conversations. I always love the book Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. A key one for me in there is when you can handle things or when you believe you can handle things, then life is a lot smoother. (laughs) And obviously, Harry Gallant, who's joining me on a masterclass for handling difficult conversations was co-author of a book called conversation secrets for tomorrow's leaders Mm. that has a dissection as well on difficult conversations we'll put all of those in the show notes with links to where you can find them right catherine that has been brilliant thank you for being this week's guest on the gross cfo show yeah thank you kevin it's been really good thank you 